In the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So today as we worship God, we also recognize today as World Mission Sunday. And this serves as a wonderful reminder that we are one small part of a global movement of people who faithfully follow Jesus in the historical tradition of Christ's one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And no matter how large or small of a part you feel you play in the global movement called Christianity, you are called to remain faithful to Christ and to his kingdom in a divided world that stands in opposition to God. The text of today's gospel lesson recalls portions of what people refer to as Jesus's farewell discourse in John's gospel. This appears in John chapters 13 through 17. As Jesus' earthly ministry comes to a close, the text provides a look at Jesus' life at the end of his public ministry before his crucifixion. Here, Jesus talks about the mission of his followers. After this, Judas betrays him. Things go crazy. Peter is either really good or does not know how to use a sword. He cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus goes before the authority. Peter, the one who said he would lay down his life for Jesus, denies him. Jesus is crucified and his body is placed in a tomb. A couple days later, Mary shows up at the tomb on Sunday and the body is gone. So now people are doing more cardio that makes me tired because they are running like chickens with their heads cut off. Mary runs to tell Peter and another disciple about the missing body. These two disciples take off running to go to the tomb. The other disciple outruns Peter, who I think is built like a linebacker who's caught in interception and is trying his best to make it to the end zone and can't. The other disciple outruns him and he just stoops to look into the tomb to see the linen cloth because I think he might be out of breath. And Peter gets there and goes in and sees the cloths in the tomb. The authorities crucified Jesus. Some followers buried him. And now his body is missing. And in light of all of this, Peter and the other disciple return home. Now that evening, the disciples are behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. And all of a sudden, Jesus was in the midst of them. He's like, peace to you. To a group of fearful followers, Jesus' words likely recall his conversation with them. For he says in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Amid a tumultuous world, how are you supposed to not be afraid? It's because you have the peace of God that keeps your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In John 16, Jesus explains that he says what he does 
so that in him you may have peace. He goes on to say, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the midst of what you are enduring at this moment, the Lord Jesus says, peace to you. Amid tribulation, God gives his peace. Now, let me be clear about something. Some people confuse peace with the absence of conflict or tribulation. But the peace that God gives sustains you through conflicts, through trials, and through tribulations. Jesus then presents himself to the disciples with his wounds, and he once again declares to them, peace to you. The Jews have been outside of those locked doors, but God gave them peace. Let me bring it home for us for a moment. Worldly opposition may be outside the walls of the church, but if you receive it from Christ, you too can have his peace. They killed Jesus. And somehow the mission did not change. Jesus shows up behind locked doors. Is anybody still stuck at the fact that Jesus shows up in a locked room? I'm like, is this a Star Trek thing? Is this a beam me up? Scotty, beam me back down. What is going on? But somehow Jesus suddenly appears in the midst of them. It would probably freak me out that a guy who I saw hanging on a cross a couple days ago is now in the room with me talking to me. Just saying. But he tells the disciples, as the Father has sent me, even so... I am sending you. Now, I know the earliest disciples were much holier than I am. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, Jesus, the Father sent you and they killed you. Now, you mean you want me to go out there? And the answer is yes. Not just them in the text and not just me. He calls you too. As far back as John chapter 1, we find that Jesus was in the world, yet the world did not know him. One of the most famous passages of scripture, John three sixteen, followed by verse 17, explains, Thus God loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 10, 36 also speaks of the Father sending Jesus into the world. And as Jesus was sent into the world, Jesus sends you into the world. Now toward the end of the farewell discourse in John 17, Jesus prays to the Father, he uses this language of protection regarding the disciples. He has kept them in the Father's name. He has guarded them. And as Jesus prepares to depart, he notes that the world has hated his disciples because they are not 
of the world, just as he is not of the world. He tells the Father, though, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And Jesus takes the hopes of escape that so many Christians in this time and place have and destroys them with a single statement. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So for all of you who have hopes of escape from everything going on in the world, sorry. Jesus said no. And I'm pretty sure that whatever Jesus asks of the Father, the Father does. So, we're here for the long haul, folks. Just as Jesus went into a world full of hate, he sends his disciples into the same world. For even as they hated him, they hate those of us who are in Christ. The expectation is that the world will hate you because you, like Jesus, are not of the world. So I want you to think about this. Does the world hate you? Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about one political party or another or some group or another group or things of that nature. As the people of God, you should not be aligned with the systems of this world. So faithfully following Jesus demands that you function as an outsider in relation to the worldly systems in which we live. So I ask again, does the world hate you? If not, why not? We should all be following Jesus in a consistent manner that results in the world hating us since we are not of the world. And in the midst of a world full of hate towards Christ and his church, you are called to love. Think about it for a moment. Each week, we hear the summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second commandment is like you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so if in your head you're asking, but does that mean I have to love and you fill in the blank with something? Yes, the answer is yes. You must love the Muslim. You must love the Russian. You must love the Ukrainian. You must love your enemies. You must love your neighbor. You must love everybody because Jesus gives you no room to hate anyone. So in a world full of hate towards you as a follower of Jesus, you are biblically obligated to love everyone. And you're like, that's pretty hard to do. Yes, it is. And because of that, Jesus does not send his disciples out on their own because he knows the way of humanity and he knows we are frail. And he turns around and he tells the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus never says the job will be easy, but back in John 14, this language right here recalls that because Jesus tells the disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and enables you to do the mission Christ has set before you. Finally, our gospel text guides us to what I call an ever-expanding circle of belief, which brings us to the story of Thomas, one whom many call Doubting Thomas. People ridicule Thomas, but Thomas needs a new moniker. Honest Thomas sounds more appropriate, I think. Because here's the thing. If you have not had doubts and questions, I would dare say you need to think about your faith just a little bit more. And you say, but Father Dan, even John the baptizer turns around and sends his disciples to Jesus after everything that takes place. He's proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's talked about how he must increase and I must decrease. And he's like, wait, are you the one who is to come or should I have been looking for somebody else this whole time? So let's look at what honest Thomas does and says. Because the disciples show up and they tell Thomas, hey, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas responds saying, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And Thomas is basically asking for the same thing that everyone else has already gotten. He didn't get the memo of Jesus' unscheduled visit in a room behind a locked door. But here's what happens. Thomas wants to see, and everybody else already has. When you look at the tomb, back up in verse 8, the other disciple saw and believed. When Jesus appeared to the disciples, they were glad when they saw the Lord. And here, Thomas basically says, I want to see too. So, the next week, Jesus comes back and shows up in a locked room again. And I mean, imagine if Jesus just appeared next to you. For some strange reason, I think many people would change their behavior. It's like a kid getting caught all of a sudden because a parent shows up and it's like, okay, so what were you doing? Nothing. But here's the newsflash. We shouldn't have to change our behavior because Jesus suddenly shows up because he's already with us. But Jesus shows up and says, peace to you. Then he turns to Thomas and is like, hey, I see you. Want to stick your finger in here? Hey, by the way, you know that whole side piercing? You can stick your whole hand in there if you want to. Don't disbelieve. Believe. Now, John does not tell us that Thomas followed through with this. Instead, of all the beautiful paintings that we see with Thomas sticking his hand into Jesus' side, the Bible tells us that Thomas simply responds, My Lord and my God. Jesus then explains, You have believed because you have seen. It's not a ridicule of Thomas. Because here's the thing. All of them have already seen. 
But Jesus makes this statement. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This statement actually shows that since all of them have seen, that this blessing is pronounced upon those who came after and believed because of the testimony of those who had seen. And this includes you. Going back to John 17, Jesus concludes his prayer saying, I do not ask for these only, referring to the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know, catch this, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Later, he says, oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You see, the ever expanding circle of belief included Mary, who's, to whom Jesus appeared. The apostles behind the locked room in the first scene and then Thomas in that last part. And it went to those who believe in Christ through their word. The word reached us and those who were in Christ function as a part of the group for which Jesus prayed. Now, Jesus prayed, noting that the unity of the church would be a factor in the world believing that the father sent him. When we look at mission in terms of evangelism. How are we doing? Now, don't answer this out aloud, but I think we need to think long and hard about this. On a scale of one to ten, one being the worst and ten being the best. How are we doing in our mission when it comes to people coming to believe because of us demonstrating and living into the unity for which Christ prayed for his church? If the world comes to believe that the Father sent Christ because of our unity, how are we doing regarding our unity as the body of Christ? May God guide us in faithfully fulfilling his mission in the world today. Amen.